We've read the second chapter of the bizarre part of Daniel. The first six chapters seem to be more familiar. They're taught at Sunday school. They give some amazing teaching, inspiration about courageous living of Daniel and his three colleagues in Babylon. As Phil resumed the series last week from chapter 7 in Daniel, it suddenly goes a little bit weird. Well, at first glance, weird. It's all about apocalyptic literature. It's about these visions, these dreams, these insights, this revelation that Daniel has given by God into his time. Remember, he's in Babylon. He's uh, in the era of kings and rulers, about 500 years before the birth of Jesus. A few years ago, I don't know if you remember the excitement and imminent arrival of the third prequel of the Star Wars series. When I was a child, the original Star Wars came out. Amazing. I remember seeing it very early on and look, looked forward to episode four, Star Wars, then five, then six, The Return of the Jedi. It was amazing. Princess Leia and Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. George Lucas and that epic kind of saga of space. And then they decided to make the prequels, episodes one, two, and three. And so I remember waiting for the third prequel, in other words, episode three of Star Wars. Now, if I hope I haven't lost you. I hope you haven't clicked off already from uh, this channel thinking, what's this got to do with anything? Bear with me. Uh, if you're a non-Star Wars fan, I'm sorry. You see, in the Star Wars saga, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker are contending good and evil. And the belief behind that in the Force, this struggle between good and bad of which will work out. And in the prequels, bad is in the ascendancy. They are taking control of, of the structures of government and of, of using it to manipulate and bring um, control and oppression and persecution and the arrival of the empire. And the resistance, a small band of freedom fighters, the faithful Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia and Chewbacca and all those, the good and the true and the struggle for their very existence. And I remember looking forward to what was going to be in, in Star Wars Part 3. I won't mention the slightly bizarre characters that were in the prequels. But it struck me as I waited for that as really odd. Because the expectation about what was going to happen wasn't there. What do I mean? We already knew the end. Because they'd already made Part 4 first. Nevertheless, for the characters in part three, the prequels, the outcome for them wasn't clear. They were still waiting to discover. What's all this got to do with Daniel? Well, it's really important that we recognize the context, the moment in which Daniel received that vision 
in the ever-changing geopolitics of, of Babylon, of Nebuchadnezzar, of, uh, of those emperors and rulers, those cruel tyrants, and the rising of other powers in the, in the Near East, but also in Europe. Daniel was in the midst of conflict, the exile, living under oppression, his freedom to worship freely, to, to live out his calling as a servant of God, was being oppressed. He was often at risk of his life. Power was placed and vested in the hands of the godless. The empire was in control. And yet Daniel was given this view ahead to the future. And it involved a massive struggle. It involved faithful God, the God of Israel, versus successive rulers and enemies who sought to oppose, to fight, to appear to be winning, to gather together power and authority and see themselves as gods. But unlike Star Wars, Daniel's dream in chapter 7 and the vision we've heard read in chapter 8 Indeed, in the whole of the book of, the Dan of Daniel, unashamedly affirms and states and declares this. God wins. That God is entirely in control. Never in doubt. It's not a struggle like Star Wars and the force of this equally balanced power. It's not a fight between good and evil and wondering Who's going to come out on top? Daniel is really clear. God Almighty is always trustworthy, always trustable, powerful, and faithful. Think about the stories of Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that they came up to and were confronted with unknowable things other than by the Lord. Daniel was challenged to interpret a dream of Nebuchadnezzar's, and Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't even tell him his dream. He had to find out about it, and there was no human way. Everyone else was confounded, yet God knew. When the three friends were thrown into the fiery furnace, those that threw them in were burned up because it was so hot, and yet they were preserved. What would be impossible for any human being, God preserved. In the outworking of those early six chapters, God intervened in the very particular and the very real of those people's lives. And in the second part of Daniel, chapter 7 onwards, we get a much bigger picture. It's more like a fish eye view from a really big um, vantage point back. And the truth still Stands that no matter what we see in the temporal, in the now, in, the, in that which we're experiencing, in the great interplay of nations and forces and viruses uh, uh, and nuclear weapons and climate change, all of those things real and powerful, yet God is above them all and more than the sum of all of them. I hope you're able to just mutter an amen or a hallelujah maybe at that point. You see, Daniel is given a look behind the scenes to see what's in store. It's not a pretty picture. It's not an easy read. I'm, I'm struck uh, by the last verses in chapter 8. I, Daniel, was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. 
Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. There's a reality to when we are in the midst of a struggle that it can be exhausting. I know that for many of us, this lockdown three, that this time, this year that is clicking on towards March of 12 months of COVID, there's an exhaustion, there's a tiredness. For all of you who've got children at home, homeschooling, for all those anxious about whether the virus will come into your orbit of family and life, we pray it doesn't. In the financial uncertainty of, of the, um, the weeks to come, the years to come, in coping with this, in the uncertainty in America, in the change of leadership, of climate change, all of these things can seem to weigh us down. We can be exhausted. Where is God? How does it pan out? Daniel, a mighty man of God, lay down for several days. Then he got up and went about his day-to-day business. See, Daniel had seen and understood that the days ahead would involve suffering, of trial, of struggle. But like any difficult journey, the destination is real and it will be reached. And it will be okay. Daniel sees a vision of a ram and a goat, slightly different to chapter 7. These are grotesque animals. And in chapter 8, we're given a little bit more clarity than in chapter 7 because the passage, the part that Phil read, gives the interpretation, gives the insight. We're not left grasping to what does this refer The ram has horns, one grows larger, and it's charging about. The second animal um, charges and battles with the first, and it's greater than. The horn that it has is broken into four, and then another one grows, in verse 10 we're told, that is very, very powerful. So thankful that God gives the insight, the interpretation, gives us permission to see more clearly than perhaps in chapter 7. We're told the first animal, the ram, represents the Medes and the Persian Empire. Remember for Daniel, this is looking ahead still into the nearish future. The Persian Empire will become stronger, the horn is bigger. And will advance and will conquer other lands. The other, the goat, verse 5, is very fast moving. Not touching the ground. It seems that the vision that Daniel is told about, that he receives about the coming days, the goat represents Greece. You've probably heard of Alexander the Great. He had this massive empire stretched unhindered from Italy all the way across to India. But he died at the age of of 33 and his two sons um, were murdered and four generals, the four horns that took charge, took over and one later became more forcible. It set up a desolation in the temple. 
the Seleucid king Antiochus IV Epiphanes, what a name to have on your business card, made Palestine the place of God's people, assimilated it into the Greek culture. The temple in Jerusalem, the holy place, was desecrated. They set up the image of Zeus, the destroyer, and sacrificed and killed many in the most holy place. Terrible times ahead. Daniel was given sight of. But even though they were very powerful, they will not outlast or overthrow God. Daniel's response, he's deeply traumatized. But he is given understanding. He's given a look at the last page. The spoilers the certainty that even in the maelstrom of the moment, it won't always be like this. The way ahead will be stormy, but God is God. He is the Lord. God will be praised. It's a stark vision, a stark dream, this apocalyptic, as is any apocalyptic literature, whether it's in Daniel or parts of Ezekiel or the book of Revelation, or aspects of what Jesus teaches. It speaks of the days to come, the end days. And all of it says, God will deliver. He is never dethroned. As a great book title said, the Lamb wins. But it's worthwhile holding that triumphant with the reality of the present. Phil's already prayed in our service and reminded us about the world watch list and the challenges and the suffering and the trials that many of our sisters and brothers, many parts of the world, are under desperate pressure in the crucible of all the oppression and challenges and the awfulness that they face. This is real. History, modern history and ancient, is littered with untimely deaths and unfairness and wickedness. First martyr Stephen in Acts, Peter and Paul martyred, Polycarp, Wycliffe in Oxford. Indeed, if you ever happen to have the chance to go to Oxford, replete with many saints who were killed for devout, godly faith. Apocalyptic literature, for us as a church, as sisters and brothers, isn't easy to read, but it's important that we do, that we listen and take heart from it. Because it speaks about the end that will be. A bit like Star Wars Episode 3. We already know what Episode 4, 5, 6, and now uh, 7, 8, 9 talk about. We know the end. We know the destination. We know the outcome. God wins. In the coming of the Messiah, of which apocalyptic literature is often focused in and around in the reign and rule of the kingdom of the Messiah, we're given hope that it isn't all chaotic and pointless and lost. Our destiny 
and that of this world and this universe is in the hands of Almighty, holy, loving God. Paul, in, in Romans 8, speaks about, I'm convinced that neither heaven or hell or angels or demons, even life or death, can separate us from the love of God. God will work out his purposes for the good of those who love him. Isn't that amazing? Hold on to that. Whatever we are going through right now or in the days to come. And as we pray for the persecuted church, and as we pray for our world, we may be exhausted. We may think, oh, we just need to lie down for a time. We just have to take a step back because it seems horrific. And yet, hold on. Hold on. As Daniel saw and the vision that God gave him came to pass exactly. It was couched in language that seemed a bit obscure. But then the Messiah came and the Messiah said, I will return. I am coming back to rescue you. Revelation 21, that beautiful picture that the, the, the city of God will descend and be with humanity for all time. He will be with us. He will be our light amongst us and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. The Lord wins.